I'm ready. Hello, everyone. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here tonight. I am Alyssa Crabtree of Crabtree Coaching Collaborative. And with me tonight, I have two of my favorite people, Casey Watts and John Lee. And I'm going to throw it to them, let them tell you a little bit about themselves. Hey, guys. So I am super excited to be here tonight. Thank you, Alyssa, for having us. And I'm really pumped to talk about this topic. And I know that we are about to get real, real with the instructional coaches that are coming to this live session. I am um, an impact coaching consultant. I have also titled myself recently as a school impact strategist. And I also am a full-time instructional specialist slash coach. So I have a lot of experience I'm going on seven years of instructional coaching or instructional specialist. So super excited to be here. Awesome. Hey, y'all. My name is Jonna Lee. I am an education consultant. I get to work with our most precious population, teachers and students. Um, so through customized professional development and workshops, I get to work with schools and principals and educators who really want to um, improve student achievement. Uh, I get to work with teachers who are tired at the limited amount of resources and time available to them. And I get to work with professionals who want to use data to drive the instruction that really meets the needs of their, of their students. Um, so I am so excited to be here tonight. I, I always get, um, I just always feel so lucky and, and privileged to be part of such um, important conversations with such amazing women who are also on the ground working with teachers and, and students and doing the work. So thank you for having me and super excited for what we have in store tonight. Thank you both for joining me. You know, one thing I can say is you are experts in the field. Both of you are have been instructional coaches. You are instructional coaches. I'm an instructional coach. And gosh, I would venture to say that between the three of us, we have close to 30 years of coaching experience under our belt. And why, that is why we are so passionate about what we are talking about today. And that is exactly what keeps us up at night as coaches. And so as we are kind of diving into the goal for tonight, I am going to ask our participants, anyone who's here live tonight, go ahead. And what I'd like for you to do is put in the chat, what keeps you up at night as an instructional coach? What is the biggest obstacle? Obstacle? Because here is the awesome part. Tonight, us three, we are going to talk about the solutions that we have used in our experience and that our other colleagues have used that are practical. They're not something that's going to add something crazy extra onto your plate. These are practical solutions to problems that we have. And that's the whole purpose for tonight. Um, so, and another awesome thing is if you are live here tonight, you are getting all of these solutions for free because once this conversation is done, it now will no longer, we're not, we're not doing a replay. So you are in for a huge treat. So let's dive in. And Casey, Jana, as an instructional coach, what have been some of the biggest things to keep you up at night? Casey, you want to go first? Yeah. So I will jump in and I will say, and I, I would say that this is true, not just for myself, but for so many other instructional coaches, 
a lot of the time instructional coaches are pulled out of the classroom because they are seen as like master teachers. They're seen as the runners on their campus. They're seen as the leaders. And because they have instructional expertise, they're pulled out of the classroom and expected to do instructional coaching, but with little to no training as an instructional coach. And we have this assumption that the teacher is going to, this master teacher is going to be able to go into other classrooms and teach everyone the ways that they do things. And sometimes we have that mindset as coaches coming out of the classroom, like I can share all of my knowledge and I can share with everybody what I've done in the classroom that's worked, but it's not that way. That is not the reality of coaching. And what has been a struggle, I know for myself when I first began coaching and for so many other coaches is learning how to become super self-aware and extremely socially aware as well. It's hard. Um, Adults are hard. Yeah. Adults are hard. So Casey and Jonna, like, this is my question. If you are working with a team and maybe there are some adults that are not socially aware and there's not really, the coach is not well equipped to handle that. What is, if this, if this is not solved, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? Teacher resentment, other teachers feeling that they could do a better job, teacher, a lack of respect for the culture, a lack of respect for the, um, the institution that is a PLC. Each PLCs in many ways are their own institutions. And when they don't, when there's a lack of respect for the leadership within the institution or within the PLC, um, you know, in terms of social awareness and being um, empathetic and compassionate towards the people that are within your team, uh, they're, they're, you lose the trust and respect of, um, and, and the, and the system crumbles. Um, yeah, I think that it, that that's really important. And, you know, what I see so often are, um, leaders of PLCs sort of turnkeying information instead of providing the space for, uh, teachers to practice, the strategies through, um, you know, mock action plans and mock um, mock discussions that involve mm-hmm. like real world problems that PLCs will face, and it becomes very, it's it becomes much. I've seen it be much more preach based rather than practice based. Yes, and I think there's such a difference. Oh my gosh, Donna, I'm so glad you mentioned that because. There are, there is a difference between coaching and telling. Yes. And and like you said, like this preaching, oh my, guys, there's some serious thunder out here. I don't know if you can hear it. I heard it. Disturbance. You know, we've got a a thunderstorm coming. No, Uh, the thunder's like, that's right, ladies. You're onto something right now. (laughs) You you, you say it. But I'm thinking, you know, we have one of the things that I've I've posted many times about or I've talked about many times about is how to move from a compliance based coach to an action focused coach. And there's a difference between telling and Mm -hmm. showing. And so, like, as a coach, I can tell all these beautiful things. But unless I give the teacher tools to implement it, I model for them, I show them 
it's it's going to be interpreted in 20 million different ways mm -hmm. and we cannot get upset at people who interpret our words differently communication right. is is key but yeah. you also said something else john and casey both of y'all you had mentioned the resentment and tell me what have you experienced with adult pushback and just kind of like that resentment no one wants to work with you that's a huge problem that a lot of coaches face what do you do what happens when when resentment occurs it you at the basic level no that's not it's at the at the lowest level like starting level i don't want to say basic because it's actually extremely complex you are building relationships. So when you reach that roadblock of no one wants to work with me, there's a sign there that you have not built a solid, trusting, foundational relationship. And it also means that you have to really self-reflect and decide what is my approach. The self-reflection is so crucial as an instructional coach not more so than a classroom teacher. It's just different. You're, you're reflecting in a different way because you're working with adults who have had years of experience, years of becoming the person that they are, years of habits that they've developed, and you're having to come in and recognize and understand all of that. So when that roadblock comes up and we mm -hmm. stumble we have to take, we have to be okay with taking steps back and starting fresh again with a different approach. And, you know, one thing that I was going to say too, you asked like, what's the worst that comes of that when you have people resenting you and you get to this lost and lonely place as an instructional coach, you face the, um, the chance of wanting to go back to the classroom, even when you don't want to go back to the classroom because you don't know what else to do yeah, and you haven't, you haven't had the training to be able to handle those roadblocks. Yeah. Relationships are key. Mm -hmm. So just to make sure I, I heard you correctly, like one of the biggest obstacles, if you are seeing teacher resentment and that's the obstacle, they don't want to work with you, build relationships. You have to pause and take time to build relationships. Mm -hmm. What are some tools that if you experience that resentment, what, what's one quick way that you build relationships with teachers or what are, what's one thing that your coaches can do now in the summer? What can they do? Mm. So one of the things that I took when I was in the classroom and then transitioned to coaching and then ultimately, you know, moved to the consultant side of things there is so much power between, there is so much power behind face-to-face -face rather than through email. Email is of course a quicker option, but there is such power of face-to-face -face communication and interaction. And so I think that can work in twofold. Face-to-face -face meaning, and, and, and it, we have to be willing to want the feedback I don't know that we ever like, well, we do want feedback because that's who it's ingrained in us as teachers, right? But you have to be okay with the feedback. Like that requires a conversation to have with yourself. Like if I'm searching for the feedback, I'm going to hear things that I don't like and I need to be okay with that. Um, so the first thing I would do is think about what kind of feedback are you looking for and what's the best way to get that feedback? 
Um, is it through a survey? Is it through having some intimate conversations with teachers, visiting them or your members of your PLC, visiting them um, in their classrooms, in their, their spaces and asking, what can I do better? And this comes from the bottom of my heart. I truly want to know. And yeah. it remains confidential. And those are some leadership skills that um, that you have to show the confidentiality of the conversation, the risk taking and putting yourself out there asking for feedback, and then not just taking the feedback, but what happens next, next is turnkeying that feedback into actionable changes, mm -hmm. right? So turning the challenge into change, how can I take what I'm hearing and ensure my team that I'm going to do something about it to make it better? Um, I think that as humans, we are, um, we, 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 we have a soft spot for hearing the truth in somebody who's coming to us and being vulnerable yeah. um, and it requires some vulnerability. Leadership is, is more, I think about showing the vulnerable side, um, rather than showing that like stoic, you know, uh, uh, uh that stoic side where you're just sort of faceless. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing that I would like to add to that too, Jonna, is sometimes we can come across when we have those kinds of conversations that can come across as lip service and we don't want mm -hmm. it to come across that way. And I think even the, the small minor things that we do can come across as lip service if we don't have follow through. So one thing that I usually try to do during the summer is send periodic, not a lot of emails, and I'm not really even talking about work. I'm just sending text messages, emails, getting on Marco Polo, or trying to have some face-to-face -face interactions with the people that I work with in a super casual way, like, hey, I, want, I was thinking about you. Tell me about how your summer's going. What are you most excited about next year? Yeah. Super simple. You don't have to make it complicated. But that minor touch point is going to make a big difference in the long run. However, only if you can keep up things like that and you follow through. Because if I ask them, hey, how's your summer going? But I don't respond and it's just a one and done, then that's just lip service, you know, and, yeah. and people see right through that. That's right. Authenticity. Yeah. They need to be more authenticity comes yeah. to mind. Right. Absolutely. And, and with that, with the authentic relationship building, and it, it doesn't, like Casey, you said, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be something large, but it, it really is just those genuine check-ins, know your people. You yeah. know, there were um, some comments made on a TikTok that I posted, and it was about how can you foster relationships now? And a lot of the pushback came from, um, I don't want to work, you know, I, I don't want to do this over the summer because it's my summer. I want to enjoy my summer. And I don't think teachers are going to want to hear from me either. But it's not, like you said, 20 million emails. I would be thrilled if my coach texted me and just said, hey, I heard Everly had a dance recital. How'd it go? Yep. Like, like just those genuine pieces. It does not have to take a lot of time. It's not work, but I guarantee you it will go a long way. And if not your job, then like, you know, that question of what's the worst thing that could happen if 
you don't find a solution and you don't build relationships, everyone, I'm going to tell you now, I have seen instructional coaches be used for substituting yep. and lunch duty and all the things that maybe assistant principals didn't want to do or handle or something. And it was because the coach was not able to coach yep. for, for several reasons. And one of them being teachers didn't want their business. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to coach and genuinely coach, you have to foster those relationships. Yep. Yep. It's just a part of the process. It is. And I, it can't, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't like that fluffy stuff. It doesn't have to be fluffy. No, it does not have to be fluffy. No. Um, so tell me something else. What is another problem that keeps you both up at night with instructional coaching? I mean, something that keeps me up at night with instructional coaching is when I have a teacher who is invested in what they're doing and they're, they're really trying their hardest, but the, um, the needle is just not being moved. There's just, Mm. it's like, they're just not getting in. Um, and it's so hard to, it's like, I spend a lot of my energy trying to craft a way it, 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 I question what I'm doing because I, I, you know, it's like, well, this person is really trying their hardest. So when it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's not the teacher that's like, well, I don't have to do this. It's the teacher who's like, I'm doing this, you know, but there's just not movement. Um, And that's something that I think, you know, we don't talk enough about, but it is, it does exist in teachers. You've got teachers who really want to be the best instructional coaches they can be. And they do the things you tell them to do. But for whatever reason, it's just, there's like a disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're just not fulfilling or, or it's just not the, the needles not being moved. And, and that can be, um, that, that, that requires some deep soul searching for myself because it's kind of like, okay, so now, now what, what am I, what is the disconnect here between what mm-hmm. the conversations and the action steps that we are collaborating over and discussing over? And then when I leave, these things are not, you know, not translating the way they need to be translated. Right. Yeah. Um, and here's like the, cause I already have like this answer in my head, but what's the absolute worst thing that could happen if, if this is not solved, what happens with the teacher and the coach relationship? I mean, what I see is, a, a, well, for myself, a sense of defeat. Um, and for a teacher, a sense of like, I don't want to say disrespect, but a sense of just like the teacher isn't moving as well. And that means students aren't moving in their, yeah. in their learning, right? It's like everyone's just sort of at like a standstill. Um, it becomes something where we, there's a lack of, 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 you know, movement and the instructional coach feels that they're doing their best. The teacher feels like I'm not really progressing here. Um, and it can be difficult for a real relationship, trusting relationship to be formed because there's no movement being made. Yeah. Or well, they, what were you going to say, Alyssa? Like you said, you had something in mind. Your answer. My thing was, I I just kept thinking of like, 
there's two things that I'm picturing and you hit on one of them is the coach and the teacher both just getting down on themselves and feeling like Casey had mentioned earlier. Sometimes coaches have the, they just want to go back to the classroom because they're like, I fail. And, and the teacher feeling the same way. And we never want our teachers to feel like they're not like they're failing. We never want that. But something else that I've seen it happen before is a, a like a moment of distrust between the coach and the teacher. Yes. And one, oh yeah. because sometimes the coach is like, well, you're not doing what you should have said you were going to be doing while I was gone. And then the teacher saying, well, what you told me to do isn't working. Yeah. And, and that can be very disheartening. Yeah. Um, have y'all ever experienced that personally? Yes. 100%. And I have, I have heard teachers share or say, um, well, maybe it worked for someone else, but it's not going to work for either me or it's not going to work for my students. And it's almost like you get to a point where you're feeling defeated. Both of you are feeling defeated, but that defeat turns not only into distrust, but it also turns into us just giving up on something and moving forward. Yeah. So here's the, here's the million dollar question. And so anyone watching this, like this, this is gold right here. What do you do? Teachers not moving the meat needle. You have tried several strategies. What do you do? Okay. So I think there are a couple of different options. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say, Alyssa, to this. So I'm going to throw out just one option. One option that I have utilized is to just take a break and pause Mm-hmm. And then take a step back. I know I keep saying step back, but it's so true. There's a lot of stepping back and reflecting in instructional coaching. But you may have to take a pause, step back, and take and have some deep reflection time with the teacher to rebuild trust and to get to a deeper root issue that maybe neither of you are seeing. And it could also mean that you say, you know what? I can tell we're both kind of having a hard time with this. What else could be a focus that we put our time and effort into that would support this so that we can, we can approach this later. So, um, and I think it's really important to be vulnerable in that, in that moment too, and reflect and think, okay, what is, what is it that I am doing that is causing us not to move forward? Mm -hmm. Because you could think about the teacher all day long. She's not doing this. She's not doing that. He's not doing this or that. And that's why they're not moving forward, but you're making assumptions instead of self-reflecting. And I, it, it can help you to reflect on yourself and not place blame. And it can help to set a new um, target or goal and rebuild that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I I've experienced this a lot, like this isn't not just a one-time deal yeah. and everyone has been unique in the reason for the movement not to take place. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that initially comes to mind is that moment when, and one of you mentioned it earlier, I think it was Jonna, you said, um, we don't just preach. Like you can't just do all the, a lot of preaching. There actually has to be the action. And so if I want a teacher to move the needle while I am away, I have to equip them with the tools to use while I'm gone. 
So one of my favorite things, and I swear it needs to go on my tombstone, is checklist. And I think so many people get annoyed when I say it over and over again, but it's so true. If you are doing a strategy and we have worked on it, here's a checklist to foster independence. But if there is a deeper issue, Casey, I love that you said we need permission to pause and see if there is a deeper root issue at, at hand. And then I would even venture to say, what habits has the teacher developed? Like, let's focus not necessarily just on a, a strategy like just implementing that Kagan strategy or that, you know, let's teach like a pirate, you know, we're looking at all those different, let's actually go into the habits that the teacher has developed. And maybe we center our goal on that. Like that, that could be very powerful. Yeah. What are y'all's thoughts? Jonna, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in teachers being equipped with I feel that so often in these, in these, in moments of challenge, just in education in general, there is the understanding of like, okay, well, let's add more, like, let's give them more resources and let's give them more materials. Um, and let's, you know, let's, let's share more information on how to fix it rather than it's like teachers don't instructional coaches and their teams don't need more information necessarily. Sometimes it's just, they need to see how, and I always think about like, if we do it for our students, why not also do it for our teachers? Like, why does it have to change? Why do we have to recreate the way we do things? Why do we always have to think about, well, I've got to change it and I've got to do more because now we're doing, dealing with adults. Like, yes, that's true to an extent. Like adults are obviously developmentally, we, we hope more mature <laughs> children, right? Um, but there's still that piece of like instructional coaches and their teachers needing to see the language, hear the language, yeah. use, right? See the action happen, mm -hmm. feel the feelings associated with mm -hmm. all of that mm -hmm. and be part of the tangibility, if that's a word that, that comes with the action plans that you've set forth. And so that means when I'm there working with a coach and a teacher, I'm, I'm demonstrating, I'm demoing mm -hmm. what the conversation sounds like. I'm demoing the expectations that I have of the teacher and the response or the expectations I have of the coach and the response of the teacher. And it kind of, it's like paddle, right? It goes back and forth. It's a tennis match. I ping it to you, you ping it to me. Um, and, and, and we're kind of throwing this hot potato back mm -hmm. and we're all taking turns in modeling. I'm modeling what that looks like and sounds like right. teachers crave to know how they yeah. just want to know, show me how, so let's give it to them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, give them the information. It's so important. Show them the strategy, teach them the strategy, share that, share that with them. But ultimately, that can only go so far. They need to see what it looks like in action. Right. Um, yes. Setting up like, okay, if this, if this issue arises between an instructional leader and the team or a teacher, what 
if, if this is a mock scenario, what do we do? Yeah. Right. Like what's the next step? Um, and I think that that is a big piece that I don't see enough, enough of, and I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that, Jonna, too, that we don't need to add more to their plates. Mm-mm. It's just, sometimes they just need to see it done. Mm-hmm. They need to see it model. And I, I am not sure if there has been a time where I have been, especially when I first started out, I think sometimes veteran coaches get a little scared to model uh, in front of, especially veteran teachers, mm-hmm. because teachers sometimes, we all educators, everyone, you know, whenever you get up and present in front of other ones, adults are hard. That's all, you yes. know, adults are hard. So what advice would you give for a novice instructional coach who might be a little scared to model and feels like they just need to do the lip service? Yeah. I, so someone in the comments said, yes, that's my number one goal for next year, more modeling. And I absolutely agree with modeling. I think sometimes it can be beneficial to put teachers in others' classrooms instead of being in your, being in that person's classroom. And here's why, because you can get pushback in that situation where a veteran teacher or whoever, um, they may see you come in as this like novelty with their students. So obviously the kids are going to act different Mm -hmm. and obviously it works when you're doing it, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe it's working because it's working, you know, but it's hard for them to see that there's like a, there's like a wall that's keeping them from seeing the strategy. They're more seeing classroom management and frustrated that their kids are acting this way because they don't usually act that way. And when I implement this as a teacher, it's just bananas, which means they haven't. And that's another thing they need mastery experiences. So if they don't have mastery experiences, they are not going to make make progress And mastery experiences, you have to have multiple of them in order to make progress. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know that we give them enough chances to see to do that. And when we model, I I think we go into it sometimes. I'm going to be very honest and like raw here. Our pride as instructional coaches comes out to play when we go to model. When we begin our career as coaches, we begin to model. We feel pride when it goes well, when what we model looks good. The problem is all they are seeing is perfection. So Mm -hmm. if they can go into others' classrooms, they can see more of a reality Mm -hmm. and they can feel um, a sense of belonging because this teacher next door is dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with. And it's awesome to be able to go with her as a coach and point out, hey, did you see how Johnny back here is acting a fool and she's struggling with the same things that you're struggling? Let's talk yeah. about what you might do in this situation. Let's talk about how she's handling that situation. What would you do similar, similarly, differently? I could go on. But yes, modeling is so important. But I think we have to be really mindful about how we're modeling, when we're modeling, what we're modeling, and who is doing the modeling. So would you suggest, Casey, like uh, setting up, um, 
I'm such a big fan of like lab classrooms, but I think that they're always so focused on like teacher instructional strategies and their impact on students. Yeah. I, 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 I envision a framework of lab classrooms solely focused on teacher to teacher, like impact of instruction coming from the coach and seeing that within teacher instruction. Yeah. Um, and I think that also kind of opens up opportunity for some data collection around all of this to also see what's working, what's not working, what strategies right. are great between us and which ones are not. And right. when you create, and that, that, that data can come from, doesn't have to come from principals giving observations, doesn't just have to come from teacher principals giving observations, but it can also come from teachers being in other teachers' classrooms and seeing how certain instructional strategies that their coaches have, you know, introduced to them are yeah. working or, you know, yeah. Working. Yeah. yeah. And I think you have to be careful to like, there's a process to get to the point where teachers are ready for that. That's mm-hmm. right. Unless you're on a campus where it's just the norm. And mm-hmm. for a lot of campuses, it's just not the norm. Right. So you have to do the pre-work of building up to making it the norm. Like in this school, we visit each other's classrooms because we know that that's what's going to make us a pro at what we do to benefit students in the long run. I have to, I shout out to my two old principals, Devin Eisenberg, Lee Marie Laureano and assistant principal, Christina McNamee, because that culture was ingrained in us. We were an open door culture. You want to come in and watch, please come in and watch. You have something to share, share it. You want to run the PD around this practice because you have been, um, you know, this is something that you're passionate about and you and your coach have been working so closely on this, do it. And it became so much more than just about observations, yep. formal walkthroughs. And it just became this, like, ever we were just like, like just popping, buzzing around, buzzing, busy bees, you know, yep. visiting yep. each other's rooms. It was fun. It was, it was, you yeah. know, it, it just kept it like, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I don't want to keep going on, Elizabeth. I, I want to respond to that. If, yes. if, okay. Okay. Two things. So I see instructional coaches as like the connector between teachers. So mm-hmm. as an instructional coach, I have to do the deep work of connecting this teacher to other teachers because number one, that's building collective efficacy. Number two, that's going to improve your PLCs. Number three, that's just good practice, right? And that's gonna that is going to improve the culture of your school. Also, you we were talking about lab classes and like modeling. If we if I took a step back and kind of like re re rewound rewinded, sure, okay, sure. Uh, bunch of English teachers here. <laughs> yeah, if I was to go back in the conversation, I would absolutely say or wish I would have said that. We, we need to go to micro pieces of the instructional practices that we're modeling. So while I might model something, I just want the teacher to focus on one mm-hmm. tiny habit or practice. That's it. That's all we're focused on. Um, so those were just a couple of things I wanted to throw in there that were on my mind. I'm so glad you brought that up because I... I will often see instructional walks being done where there's not necessarily a narrow lens. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And so everyone goes in like, oh, I saw this. This was awesome. This was awesome. This was awesome. And that's beautiful. But the reality of being able to implement all those things is not real. Right. So going in micro focused. Mm -hmm. and, And I love that phrase. I do have one last problem that I do. I want to talk about tonight because we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but I have seen, like, I've talked to coaches, especially this year. And they're just like, I dread waking up in the morning because not waking up in the morning, but like going to work in the morning. That sounded bad. (laughs) I, I dread going to work in the morning because I know I'm going to have to worry about everyone's sub coverage and the first period sub coverage. I know I'm going to have to cover this person's class. I know I'm going to have to do this. And so the problems with instructional coaches not being seen Mm -hmm. as instructional coaches, have you ever experienced that? What was the result of that and how did you fix it? I, I am grateful i've never had that experience it it, and i'm i know i i am just grateful every day because i'm like how how did i not have that experience because so many people do in my opinion i think it goes back to clarifying what your role is with not just teachers but instructional leaders um because if you are being pulled again and again for subs or to sub then People don't understand your role. They don't understand the impact of your role. And it's time to start from ground zero and build clarity around your role. Um, I've seen that happen with two types of teachers, instructional leaders, instructional coaches, and uh, special education teachers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I've seen that, there's only so much that can be done within the year, like in terms of, you know, changing that, because ultimately in my experience, those decisions come from the uh, principal or leadership, campus leadership, district leadership. Um, But as a consultant who goes in and has conversations with administrative teams and their PLCs or instructional coaches and special education teachers, I am extremely firm in expressing the need to protect the sanctity of their time and their jobs if they want to seek change. Mm -hmm. Um, And that goes for special education teachers and that goes for instructional coaches. And I also, so in addition to having conversations with administrative leadership, I'm also having conversations with the teachers themselves about their need to express the importance of protecting the sanctity of their positions, their time and their roles and responsibilities. Um, And that's something that's a conversation that um, I, you know, definitely have had. Um, I think it's more difficult for teachers in those positions, those coaches and and special ed teachers to um, have those difficult conversations with leadership, but I've spent time crafting, helping craft those conversations so that, you know, everyone's on the same page because ultimately it's impacting students. Well, and you know, I, I have seen, I've seen it happen to several coaches and even just a lot of my colleagues who are coaches at other campuses. And I would be talking to them 
And what is so, like, I, I feel like I get so frustrated for them because of what's happening. And what makes me angry is I'm like, campuses, administration, your tier one is struggling because you are not utilizing one of the most valuable resources on your campus. And you're using them for quick band-aids. But if you used your coach the way that they were supposed to be utilized, a lot of your issues would go away. So, I mean, it takes more time, but a lot of your issues would go away. So my urge to administration would be to partner with your coach and clarify what a coach is and what it is not yeah. and present that to the whole staff, not in an email, right. right? to the whole staff. And you continue to send that message. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. So ladies, I do, I want to show up my banner real quick because I kind of want to recap our conversation. And so there are five things that we talked about tonight that we really can do to practically, uh, I guess in a practical way, solve a lot of these issues and obstacles for our instructional coaches. Number one, foster those relationships. Number two, permission to pause. You don't have to go coaching cycle, coaching cycle, coaching cycle to try to get a teacher there. Um, model, 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 observe other teachers, and then finally clarifying the role that you have. Would you add anything else, ladies, that anything that you want to tell our audience tonight? Man, I that list says it all. I, I, I literally, this is amazing. And I know that eventually you're going to be turning this into like a course or, you know, mm -hmm. this is the, the route that you're going. I mean, the fact that we got to pull back the curtain and really dig into the honest truth about what it's like and the ways to overcome those challenges. Yeah. Um, these are just such practical. I'm just excited for everybody who got to hear it. I well, mean, I'm, this is so cool. I'm, I'm about to text you all on the side and be like, I can't, and I'm so excited right now. This is amazing. I, I was going to. Well, here's the good news. The good news is that these five things right here, because those of you who joined us live tonight, these five things, I'm actually going to go back and I'm going to create a resource for these things, for these five things. But here is the kicker. These will be added to my course. And my course is Launch Your Instructional Coaching Journey that is open today. Classes start on June 16th. And this is for any coach and any administrator, no matter where you are in your journey, but it honestly helps clarify the role and provides those tools for instructional coaches to really excel next year. And you know what? Not have nightmares at night. This is going to help you sleep easy. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm going to sound like the sham wow guy, but I guarantee it. Like it <laughs> helped myself, the three of us that have, you know, so much, a lot of these practical strategies and we don't want to keep them um, to ourselves. We want to share these things. So again, if you purchase the course today, like, Hey, I'm going to create these five, five resources. I'm going to send them to you. Um, and so I put the link to the course inside the chat, but I'm also going to put it on a banner here 
as we're waiting, are there any questions from our audience today or uh, Casey, Jonna, anything else that you want to add? Yeah, I'm looking at comments to see. I'm not seeing questions, but a lot of people who are like, this is great information because it is, it is great information. Um, one of the things that I, I don't want our audience to miss out on is how going through this kind of work, like through your course, Alyssa, going through that kind of work is going to help you to want to go to work in the morning. It is going to want you or make you want to learn more. And I know from experience going through the deeper work of learning about how to be a person that is an instructional coach, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, and it can make or break you as an instructional yeah. coach. It really can. I, I have been doing a lot of um, thinking recently about you know, the best ways to connect with teachers during the summer when it's just like teachers are just so like, woman, leave me alone, you know? <laughs> and I think a big piece, yes, you have your teachers and your educators and your leadership teams that are like, we need a break, like don't even want to touch it. But I think that the best part of resetting and recharging means reflecting and investing in yourself. And I think that the best times to do that, um, to reflect and, and invest is when there's just the lack of stress from the other things that are going on in your life, AKA your teaching and your, and your classrooms. Um, and personally, and in talking with other educators in the space, I was just having a conversation with someone the other day about just the power of, um, sometimes you, uh, most of the times your your year, the following school year will start off on a better foot if you are in touch emotionally in some capacity with the work. Um, and so I think that in that investment and reflecting is so worth it in the long run if it means that it's going to change your social and emotional well-being within the school year. And, you know, the one thing that I've experienced is a lot of districts will provide training on curriculum. They will provide training on um, pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they'll even some districts will even go so far as to teach specific coaching strategies, like an impact cycle, something like that. But one thing that this course will offer is strategies on how to build those relationships with adults who we have said a couple of times adults are hard mm -hmm. um, because you are dealing with egos where teaching students is a little different um and so and it will also go with you know how to motivate adult learners and that's often a component that's missing for a lot of coaches it more it's you know just hey curriculum and instruction curriculum and instruction However, our coaches need support with motivating and teaching adult learners. Ladies, I appreciate you joining me so much tonight. Audience, I am so glad that you came tonight. Thank you so, so much. And I hope you have an amazing evening. Um, and if you're interested in that course, it's, it's a bit.ly slash launch IC23. So, and share it with your other instructional coaching friends. All right. 
Good night, everyone. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.